Thank you, Pastor Jeff. Thank you, Pastor Anna. Pastor Darius for leading us in worship. Appreciate it so much. It's been a great morning, and we'll continue on. I was 21 years old when I first entered into the community called The Family. I had never um, been responsible for a family before, and at 21 years old, I married and took on two children, and I adopted those children. And um, it was an interesting thing to do at 21 years old. What does a 21-year-old know? Not a great deal, but my heart was such that I was able to love that family and to invest in that family and to understand my role in that family. But as I came into that community, I was hungry to understand what was my purpose as a husband and a father. What was... What were some of the principles that I needed to know in order to be successful as a husband and as a father? What, was, what were some of the pathways, the practical pathways that I could take in my, you know, as I, as I was working through issues of discipline and, and working through all of the various transitions that were taking place in adopting those two boys? What pathways does God have for me? What provisions? And so I find, found myself incredibly hungry as I entered in, left my singleness, left my aloneness, and entered into the family. And we see in scripture where I've been sharing that the book of Acts informs to the norm that God does the same thing for each and every one of us as we leave our aloneness or our individuality in our faith experience and our faith journey and we join a church and we gather with the church and we look for purpose, we look for principles, we look for pathways. And that's why we're doing what we're doing in this Being Us series. We're, we're finding God as to how to be successful, not just in church, but being the church. What is it that God wants us to be? And God would say to us through his son Jesus, he would say, seek first the kingdom, meaning his agenda through the church. Seek first the kingdom and all these other things will be taken care of in your life. There's a, there's a priority. There's a priority related to the church of Christ here upon the earth, and God wants us to get it right. And there are purposes and principles and pathways that he wants us to understand. And so this whole series is about that. One of the things I want to say at the outset of this sermon is that God supplies and God sustains our earthly existence in order that we help people connect with God. He helps us. He gives us everything we need so that out of our health and out of our wellness, we become bridges or we become connectors to the very God that has supplied. We sang the song Jehovah Jireh earlier today. God is our provider. And in that song, we learn that God is enough. God is enough. And Pastor Darius invited us to let go of whatever it is that we're struggling with or to let go of, of some of the things that beset us and we wonder if we have all the resources necessary to beat this thing in life and this challenge and we were encouraged to let go and to embrace the God who supplies all things. And so one of the things that God brings into our life is life groups. 
He brings groups, as we see in Acts chapter 2, and I've been referring to it week after week after week in verses 42 to 47. It says that they met in the temple courts, which is the gathering, but they also met in each other's homes. And as they were meeting in each other's homes, they were learning the word of God, they were fellowshipping, they were sharing supper, they were having communion, they were praying for one another. The Bible says that they even sold their possessions in order to, to, to leverage the issue of property in our lives towards the furtherance of God's kingdom. These are all the things that they did in the early church, and they inform us as to what should be the norm. When I was a young 21-year-old father and husband, I was looking for some information that would move me into what is a healthy, normalized union with my wife and with my children, and God supplied that, and God supplies that for us as we take on what it means to be a part of the church, the family of God. We heard from Jesus who said, let me tell you why you are here. Now, when Jesus speaks and speaks to the issue of purpose, I want to listen. I want to listen. So he says, well, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors upon the earth. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings about the God flavors while you're here on the earth. Here's another way to put it, he says. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors here upon the earth. And God is not a secret to be kept, Jesus says. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. And by opening up to others, you'll prompt people to be opening up to God the generous Father who is in heaven. Let me read that again. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up to God, this generous Father who is in heaven. It's in our coming together through various relationships that we open ourselves up to each other and it's in the opening of ourselves to each other we find the resources of God. It's not long in our relationship with each other, whether it be in the gathering or in our groups, before we learn that we actually need the resources of God. As a young 21-year-old husband and father, I needed the resources of God. It wasn't long that, that my idealism no longer carried the weight of the reality of marriage and being a father. I needed God's resources. And it's true. It's true even as we come together as a church, as we meet as groups, we'll not, it won't be long before we will realize we'll come to the end of ourselves in the midst of those relationships and we will need the resources of God. And the Bible says it's as we are opening up to each other, as we are opening up to each other, people will be opening themselves up to God. And we will find him generous. And we will find him as able to supply everything we need for life and for living. So God flavors, God colors, turning what we know into how we live, turning our convictions into relational commitments. 
Brene Brown, great author, says, what we know matters, but who we are matters more. Being rather than knowing requires showing up and letting ourselves be seen. It requires us to dare greatly and to be vulnerable. It's in our groups that we need to be real. We need to get real and we need to become real. It's in our groups that we become vulnerable with each other, we pray for one another, and we admonish and we encourage one another. It is in this place of groups where this vulnerability is exercised and people hear the truth about ourselves and we pray together in a confidential way. Connection is why we're here. We are hardwired to connect with others. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives. And without connection, there is a suffering of the soul. Jesus died in order that our connection ability be optimal, that it be functional, that it be life enhancing. And through him, we have relationships as they were meant to be. So here at the bridge, we believe that growth is not a solo act, that growth is a group project. We believe that that growth is something that we do together because God has designed us to grow together. The text says, so encourage each other to build each other up just as you are already doing. So we are given this responsibility as the church to build each other up. If you read through the New Testament, you'll see that phrase a lot of times, build each other up. We don't grow by ourselves, by going on some mountaintop. We grow by building each other up in the midst of our community. That phrase each other, or that phrase one another, is two words in, the, in our language, but it was one word in the original language, the Greek. And the word is pronounced alelon. Alelon is the Greek word for each other or one another. It's used 100 times. 100 times alelon is used to describe what should be normative as to our relationships with each other. 94 verses of scripture contain the phrase or the word alelon. 47 of those verses give instruction to the followers of Jesus as to how they are to be with each other. So we are not, we are not without purpose, we're not without principle, and we're not without pathways. We actually have from God wisdom as to how to be the church, how to be in this relationship as the family of God together. 60% of those alone verses were written by the Apostle Paul. Four of them are about kissing, by the way. Interesting. Give each other a holy kiss. It was a normative form of embrace in the New Testament. Greet each other with a holy kiss, Paul would say. All right, I'll just leave that one alone for now. (laughs) One third of the time, that phrase, one another or each other, is actually used to describe the unity that they shared. 
Be at peace with one another, the text says. Don't grumble amongst each other. Be of the same mind with each other. Accept one another. Don't bite, devour, or consume one another. Bear with and forgive each other. Alelon, alelon, alelon. 100 times descriptors as to how we are to be with each other. One third of the time, this word alelon is used in calling us to love each other. Love one another, serve one another, be tolerant towards one another, be devoted to one another in love. One third of the time, uh, alelon is used uh, calling us to, to embrace each other and to, to truly, truly stay in close proximity to each other, to not disband through disunity. 15% of the time that this word is used, we're being encouraged to have an attitude of humility towards each other. And then the remaining of the verses are, are just a hodgepodge of, of how we are to be with each other. We don't lack information. We don't lack wisdom as to how we are to be the church. And our relationship with each other is of ultimate importance to God because it absolutely influences the world around us. In John 17, 20 to 21, it says, this is Jesus praying. He says, Lord or God, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one. Just as you and I, God, are one, as you are in me, and Father, I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you have sent me. So the issue of belief and the issue of faith is at stake related to you and I learning how to live in harmony with each other. This oneness, by the way, is not uniformity, but rather unity, a communal experience of love and alone in, in the midst of all of our differences. God uses the differences that we have, uh, the different ways in which he has made us, so that in our togetherness, we more adequately, adequately reflect the majestic nature of God. Our diversity and our differences reflect the beauty and the majesty of the God who created us. By the way, when I was young in ministry, we built our ministries around a terrible principle. It was a terrible principle and we called it HUB, H-U-B. What is HUB? HUB stands for Homogeneous Unit Homogeneous unit principle, so is hub. Meaning, like draws like. Build on affinity, not diversity. We were literally taught that like draws like, so that as people even walk through the doors of your church, you were to generationally, and, and even in, in other forms of demographic, move people into like draws like. What a terrible principle. And you see in America, by the way, America, they say in America that the most divided 
time in the week in America is between 10 and 12. As the churches in America gather, there are black churches and there are white churches and there are Hispanic churches, but they're not in in, in what I would call an integrated fashion moving in the same direction together. Now that's changing, thank God, that's changing. But way back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, that HUP principle was prevailing, and churches would build around what we would call sameness ideology. Sameness was highly valued and built upon. It was an awful way to build the church. The bridge, of course, is not built on the principle of sameness. We are built on the principle of unity, in the midst of all our wonderful, beautiful, dynamic diversity. While the whole world is appreciating diversity and multicultural and multi-ethnic values, too often the church is slow to embrace the diversity and the beautiful differences that are ours. So what I wanna do, what I wanna do this morning, instead of just simply saying why groups, I wanna talk to you today, and I feel led to do this, about how to maintain healthy groups, how to stay in it, as it would relate to your relationships, whether it be in your family unit, whether it be your group, life group, whether it would be in this church, I wanna talk to you about how to stay in it, and I want you to appreciate some of the dynamics that may be pulling you away from the commitments that you've made. So here we go. Several realities that we need to deal with in order for us to have successful life groups, successful families, and a successful church. The first reality that we need to deal with and totally embrace is that we're different. We are all different from each other. I am not you, you are not me. God has made me and he broke the mold after he made me. But he did the same thing for you. God has made you, but he broke the mold after he made you. There's no two of you. There is only one of you. And all this beautiful, singularity and particularity that God has creatively invested in each and every one of us, God himself pulls us all together and we're called by him to appreciate the differences, the beauty, the particularity of each and every person. And the conviction is that we live in a diverse gathering of people who reflect a kaleidoscope of differences. And God obviously loves diversity and variance, and he wills for us to do the same. The commitment is that we surrender ourselves to this, and we embrace, appreciate, and we celebrate each other. Not a one of us individually reflects the glory, the complexity, or the beauty, or the fullness of God. It takes all of us collectively to reflect who he is. And we are called by God to see his image in each and every person in all of their beautiful particularity. This is what God calls us to do. In the book of Romans, just after it talks about some of what characterizes our diversity, Paul writes this. He says, be devoted to each other like a loving family. 
excel in showing respect for each other. The word devoted literally means make a commitment to each other. And then there's the description of what that commitment looks like. It says, like a loving family. Like a loving family. How do we do this? Through excelling and showing respect for each other. I like what Xiao Chong says, a campus minister in York University. He says in his blog, 3D Christianity, he says, creational diversity is never a diversity of division. It is not differences that divide, but rather a diversity of unity. Differences that are united in relationship to each other in love and obedience to the creator. Thus, difference and diversity in and of itself is a created gift from God and reflects part of God's own nature. And the unity that Christ brings through his redemptive work is not a new unity, but restoring and renewing a unity that was already there at the beginning of creation. A unity that was disrupted by sin. I gotta repeat that because that is so important. He says, and the unity that Christ brings through his redemptive work is not a new unity, but restoring and renewing a unity that was already there at the beginning of creation, a unity that was disrupted by sin. So we're to join Jesus in the mission to redeem and bring repair to humanity, and one of the ways that we do this is by growing in our excellence of respecting and appreciating and embracing each other. Our growth of character becomes evident as we demonstrate our commitment to each other through appreciation and respect. We are to embrace each other without judgment. The respect that is called for by God is not just for what is most obviously or inherently different about us by way of our ethnicity, but also by way of our person. We just spent six weeks together talking about shape and the series was called Being You. And there is this healthy process when we come together where we recognize what is unique about the people that God has brought together into this church. Romans 14.1 in the message it says, welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something that you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in faith, remember they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. Now I believe that this is a word from God for the bridge at this time in our history. Many of us are coming from our various protective places after the COVID-19 pandemic, and we're coming back together, and in many cases, we're relearning how to be one, how to be a church, 
how to live in unity and harmony while at the same time having differences of opinion or differences of person. Have you ever had an experience with someone and you walk away thinking, man, that was, that was strange. <laughs> why, why, did they, why did he say that? Where, where are they coming from? Well, we do well, literally, to consider that. Where are they coming from? Where are they coming from? Our history, our culture, our experience, colors, our reception, and our communication. But we are called by God to develop a language that unites us and brings about single-mindedness, a unity of heart. I remember when I first came to the bridge, there were five board members at that time. And thanks for getting your nominations in for, for this rendition of the, of the next board that will happen after our November meeting. But, but thank you for that. But when I first came here, we had five board members. They pre-existed before I ever got here. I came down, plopped myself into the middle of this leadership team, and I was called the leader, but I actually had to learn and earn towards being the leader. We had someone from Ghana. We had someone who was an American native Indian. We had someone who was Italian. We had someone who was Jamaican. We actually had two Jamaican fellows on the board at that time. Listen, when I was in Alberta, the diversity was not as significantly pronounced. It just wasn't there. In Alberta, when you look at the sky and you say, isn't that a beautiful blue sky? Everybody around you would go, mm-hmm, yep. That's the end of the discussion. Here, here, you say, isn't that a beautiful blue sky? No, 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 no. Someone's going to say, well, it's actually tad gray. Someone else is going to say, yeah, but there's, there's some white hues. Do you see the white mist hues in there? This was my board. When I led out in Kelowna, BC, where quite frankly, the predominant, the predominant ethnicity was Caucasian of one sort or another. So Euro, Anglican, that was predominant. When I came here, there were multiple people groups in a very small group of 40 or 50 people here at the bridge. And I remember my friend from Ghana, when I would say something he'd disagree with, the tongue would go to the right side of his cheek and he would go. <laughs> he would lower his head and I would see this bulge in his tongue, like in the side of his cheek and I knew, I knew that I wasn't connecting. Right? My two Jamaica friends would just look over at each other and then they would just lower their heads. <laughs> they would just lower their heads. It was such an interesting mix of individuals and it, it took us about a year to year and a half where we grew in our trust with one another, where we started to see the world and its hues and its colors and each other in such a way that there was such unity, such beauty, and there was not the nervousness, the initial stages that we felt related to sort of moving in a direction together. We had to work at it. 
We had a, a moment, I recall, a moment in time where there was someone who was disruptive and, and our team had to dis- deal with that disruptive individual and we did it together and it was hard, but we had to do it. For unity was of absolute and utmost importance to our team, even though we didn't always agree with each other. The beauty and the glory of our being in groups, the beauty and the glory of our being on teams together is that that there is a very strategic process going on where God is representing himself even as we open up to each other. When we experience differences, we're not meant to cut bait and run. Hear me, please. We are actually meant to sit to hear, to respect, to listen, to not have to be right, to defer, to confer. This is what God calls us to as we share life together. All of us are shaped differently, we learn that. All of our experiences are are building blocks for causing us to bring a different perspective. One of the things that I love about board season and when when we have to nominate new board members is we get together as a leadership group and we say, what season are we in? What time in our history are we in? What kind of leaders do we need at this time? And we're actually able to characterize and begin praying for particularities that would address the time that we're in. So, the number one thing and the number one reality that we must deal with is that we are different. The second thing that you and I have to realize is that people change. People change and we need to let them. And we do this through adaptation, through being willing to go with them into their change, their transformation, to not hold them to what we think we know about them. We don't see each other as snapshots here at the bridge, I've shared that many times, but rather we see each other in video format. Whatever you initially see in a video, it is transformed within a millisecond because the next frame is presented and we see the evolution of an individual through an action or through their movement or through just simple time. That's video format. With a snapshot, you've caught somebody at a certain time doing a certain thing and unfortunately, what the devil does is he causes us to see each other through a moment in time instead of as an unfolding movie where we're willing to be surprised by what God is doing in each other at any given moment. People change, we must trust that that is true and we must adapt with them. When someone becomes a Christian, they become a brand new person, the Bible says. They're not the same anymore. A new life has begun. Keyword, begun. The newness is revealed over time. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? It means to be brought to new life. 
Every day is a new day where new life is unfolding and we need to trust the purposes of God in each other's lives. And since God is always doing something new in each and every person, we have to be open and accepting of that newness. We have to believe in God's ability to change a heart and change a life. We have to respond to those changes in faith. Things don't stay the same. And if you try to keep things the same, if you try to live in the the past, you're going to quickly become fossilized yourself. Here's the temptation. When you find something that works, a relationship that works, a small group that works, a family that works, Things are working well in your marriage. When you get it to the point where it's really working well, we're all tempted to freeze that moment in time. If we could just keep it like it is, this is working. We try to do that and it never works because people change. So we've gotta keep doing something new. If you can imagine Me taking new wine and pouring it into old wineskins. The Bible uses this metaphor. And it says that we are to to be willing to be renewed as a wineskin, a container of wine. Because if we don't, God is going to pour new things into our life. We're not going to like it. He's going to change out a staff member at the bridge. And if you are not open, and if you are stuck in what has been in the past, then God's going to pour new things into the bridge and you're not going to be able to receive them. The Bible says you will burst. You will become dysfunctional. You will become complaining. You will become something other than what God really wants and desires for you. This is what happens to us. God is always, every day, every hour, pouring new things into our life. We must let go. And we must embrace whatever it is that God is doing. Trusting him in the process. The wineskin represents our room for change. Our ability to allow for the transformation of the new life that each one of us is experiencing day after day, week after week. The wineskin speaks to forms, methods, and ways of being. The wineskin speaks to God's spirit, or the wine speaks to God's spirit, changing us from the inside out. The fermenting and the transforming of Christ's inner person living in and through us. There is a dynamic going on in every single one of our lives. And we need to be open to it. We change. So in order to grow together, we have to be willing to change with each other. The third reality that we need to embrace is that people hide. People hide. Because we're insecure, we hide. We hide our faults. We hide our failings. We hide behind our hurts and our habits and our hangups. We hide. So I've got to decide to take a risk to be authentic. If I'm going to grow with you in my life group, I've got to get out of my hiding a little bit and share something of myself as I learn to trust and decide to take a risk. Why do people hide? We hide because we've been hurt. We hide because we're insecure. We hide because we're afraid. We don't trust.
I met with someone this week and I had to apologize on behalf of the bridge. Now how does a pastor apologize on behalf of a whole body? Someone I met with shared something in confidence in his life group and apparently it got out. And it significantly impacted his life in the way in which people perceived him. So he shared the pain of that with me as we sat over coffee and he shared the pain. I shared something in confidence in my group. And it's been talked about at the church and within the church, so much so that I was in a parking lot and somebody accosted me and said, what in the world? And I'm thinking, how did that, how did that ever get out? How did that person ever hear? You see, people hide because we don't stick to our principles of confidentiality within our groups. We don't, we don't actually hold, when people share a treasure with us, when people, Jesus says, look, don't cast your pearls before swine. Oh, that's a harsh statement. But what he's saying is don't take that thing that is most precious to you, your heart, your experience, your life, and just share it randomly. Make sure you're sharing it with people who have a system of confidentiality. Make sure you're sharing it with people who treasure it, who, who hold to it, and will be with you as you make your way through. It could be a sin pattern. It could be a sin effect, it could be a brokenness, whatever it is, but we must hold to the principle and the pathway of confidentiality in our life groups. We must be careful not to gossip with each other when something is shared through the prayer chain or the prayer connection point. We must be so careful because what we're dealing with here at church is not just some, some thing. We're dealing with human hearts that are precious. So this person and I, we wept together, literally. I felt their pain. And I apologized on behalf of the bridge. See, what I just did is I admitted one of our faults, and it says we're to admit our faults to one another and to pray for each other so that you may be healed. That person, by the way, he's taking steps towards healing and forgiving. When we spend our lives waiting until we're perfect or bulletproof, before we walk into the arena, we ultimately sacrifice relationships and opportunities that may be re recoverable, may not be recoverable, and we squander our precious time and we turn our backs on our gifts, those unique contributions that only we can make. You see, when we, we don't forgive and when we, when we, this person, by the way, I, I was absolutely affirming his dealing with the issue and I affirmed it. And I said, I want to encourage you in this process of healing to go back to the members of that group and even share your experience in love. Share it in love. And so he made that commitment. Perfect and bulletproof are seductive ways of being because we, we are insulated from our brokenness, but we, we, we know that we're not actually perfect or bulletproof. We need to admit our faults to one another and we need to pray for each other and it needs to be done in such a way that we see the preciousness of someone sharing in confidence. The fourth thing that we need to realize 
and that is a reality is that people sin. The Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. And the more isolated a person is, the more destructive they will be, and the more power that sin will have over them, and the more deeply they will become involved in it, and the more disastrous is the isolation. The beauty of groups is we can confess our sins to one another and we can come out of and into something other. In 2 Corinthians 2, 7, it says, when people sin, you should forgive and comfort them so they won't give up in despair. The Bible says you must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive each other. The truth is, is as you go through life, people are going to hurt you, and I, I don't have any illusions. I'm the senior pastor of the bridge. I have no illusions as to both our ability to bring healing, but also our ability to bring hurt. To people, depending upon whether or not we're fulfilling the purposes of God in a principled way for people who are part of the program of God. You see, this is, I, I have no illusions. We, we can either help or we can hurt. And we strive towards helping. We strive towards it. But every once in a while, we're going to get it wrong. One of us, even myself, we're going to do something that hurts another person. And we must be willing to see it for what it is, something short of the glory of God called sin. And we must be willing to confess it and we must be willing to make amends. We must. You see, the very witness of Jesus in the world is at stake. People sin, so we need to forgive. And then finally, the final and the fifth thing is that people can tend to be selfish. I'm selfish and so are you. And what, what are we gonna do about it? This is the question. That's the question we all wanna ask. We all wanna focus on what Jesus calls the other. We're encouraged in Philippians 2 to no longer look out for our own interests but to the interests of others. And the only way to become less selfish is to, is to be able to see the need of others and to trust God with our own need. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 says, my friends, we beg you to warn anyone who isn't living right. Encourage anyone who feels left out. Help all of those who are weak and be patient with everyone. We have a currency here at the bridge. We have a way of dealing with each other. We have an exchange, if I might say that. And the currency here at the bridge is grace, truth, and time. This is what we extend to each other. Grace, truth, and time. Grace for the hurts that we feel and may even be visited upon us by each other. Truth, bringing the wisdom of God into the midst of whatever situation we find ourselves in. Let's find God. Let's be informed to the norm. Let's find God and let's do it. Let's give ourselves over to it. 
And time is just simply patience. It's our ability to be patient with each other as people are on the continuum called salvation. And as they're becoming more and more like Jesus, we give them the time as we have been given the time to digest the truth and to extend the grace. So Father, in Jesus' name, as we, as we are here today, and as we are exhorted through the word, I just pray right now, God, in Jesus' name, that you would continue to invest fully into this church, the beautiful kaleidoscope of diversity, the differences, that we would not look at each other and reject each other, but that we would fully embrace each other with grace, with truth, and with time. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that alone would be real, that we would love one another, trust one another, that we would exhort one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, forgive one another. The 100 one anotherness principles of the Bible, I pray that they would be real for us and that we would be that kind of church. Right now, Father, where there are factions, where there are people who have taken offense, where people have somehow seen a breach in relationship, I look at every ministry in our church and I ask for unity and I ask for harmony and I ask for forgiveness, and I ask for grace, and I ask for truth, and I ask for patience. May we truly love each other and in the process honor you, for you are to be found in every ministry, in every minister, in every person. Be with us as we sing now, and as we worship, and as we rejoice, and as we celebrate. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.